Revelation chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, locate that. Uh, uh, Revelation 7 is interesting because it's really kind of like an interlude, if you're a musician, or a pause, or maybe you would better understand it if we said it's a parenthesis. Okay, it, it's between chapter 6 and chapter 8, there's this parenthesis, and there's this uh, interesting pause or interlude before we get into chapter 8, and the seals uh, get uh, finally all opened up there with the seventh seal. Um, before we dig in, I just want to remind everybody, remind myself, This book was written to followers of Jesus who were getting creamed. This book of Revelation was written at the time to followers of Jesus, faithfully following Jesus, and many of them were being brutalized by the evil Roman Caesars, who by this time, about 95 AD, uh, were truly out to slaughter and destroy followers of Jesus Christ. They, uh, they realized they were a convenient target and they used the Roman army and the Roman governors and loyal Roman citizens to carry out all sorts of atrocities. Give me your eyes. That's the audience, the target audience of this book. It was written to encourage those who were getting uh, extremely squeezed to not quit. Don't, don't quit. Uh, keep on shining bright, even though the cost to shining bright for Jesus is really high right now. Uh, persevere. Keep on keeping on, even if, even if that means you might be imprisoned for faithfully following Jesus Christ. That's why this book was written. And, and as soon as we don't remember that, then suddenly we've got our charts and our timelines out again, and we think that that's what it's all about. I just want to say it again. This book was not written so that we can figure out, oh, I think the beast, you know that Soviet Union president, he's got the birthmark on his forehead. Surely he's the beast. That's how this book has been used over at least the last 50 years or so. Um, It started with Hitler. Christians were confident That was the Antichrist, because look what an evil man. And I just want to say, Hitler was evil and awful, but he wasn't the Antichrist. And those who went around spreading that were wrong. And Gorbachev, with with the birthmark on his forehead, he wasn't the Antichrist. And I remember in the 70s, Henry Kissinger, he's the Antichrist, because if you spell his name a certain way backwards and add the letters up, it, it equals Antichrist. So surely he's the Antichrist. And today I hear people, well, it's got to be ISIS. I'm pretty sure that's the beast's army, and it's radical Islam, and we got it all figured out. C- give me your eyes. And when we're wrong, we make Jesus look really bad. And when we go and we try to, oh, I'm going to make a timeline and i got it all figured out, all the details. No, no. Um, that makes Jesus sound really bad because now we're saying, you got to live for Jesus. you got to go to the cross, believe in Jesus. Oh, and by the way, this is the beast, and then we're wrong. And they're saying, well, how do I know you're not wrong about the cross and the shed blood? 
and, and uh, being a follower of Christ. Are, are you tracking? This was written to a church that was being persecuted in 95 AD. And it's written, give me your eyes, today this book is there to comfort and console Christians who are getting creamed. Well, I don't, th I, I don't think it's as bad. No, can I just tell you? Today, people who know say that more people are suffering and dying for their faith today than at any time throughout church history. The, the conservative estimate is over 100 million Give me your eyes. Hundred million of our brothers and sisters are getting squeezed because they're faithfully living for Jesus. Um, I, I, Voice of the Martyrs, Voice of the Persecuted Church, the Open Door. They, they, they track. Their focus is is on people who are suffering and dying. They say um, approximately fifteen hundred people. No, a hundred thousand people last year died because of their faith in Jesus. I was going to say that, that 15th, that wasn't big enough. I didn't look down quick enough. 100,000 people in their view, and they, they track all the different countries, died because they love Jesus last year, 2014. Okay? So if you're thinking, well, there's not, no, we just, we don't think about the Christians in Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Nigeria with Boko Haram. India, Iran, Egypt, Syria, Pakistan, North Korea, Afghanistan. It's awful for them. 70% of Christians are getting squeezed because they live in countries where to be a faithful follower of Jesus is not acceptable. It's not tolerated. So they're getting squeezed, and this book is written to them to bring consolation and comfort and encouragement to them. So just so you know, that's why this book was written. And I just want you to know, 70% of our brothers and sisters need this comfort, need this encouragement, need this consolation. Okay, That's the background. Let's stand together. Revelation 7. Let's read verses 1 to 10. Here we go. Let's read. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this I looked, 
And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's try verse 10 again, how it's supposed to be read, okay? Here we go, are you ready? And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You almost got it, but I think one more time and we might be close, okay? Loud. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Let's pray. Lord, we look forward to this day. We look forward to being able to join the multitudes and shout and praise and worship and adore our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. We recognize He is the Lamb sitting on the center of the throne. And Lord, my prayer is that uh, we would uh, start practicing here on earth. Lord, uh, I think we have this uh, thing called life to, to practice and get ready for eternity. So Lord, help us to practice well. Help us to practice when we gather here on Sundays as your church. And Lord, I'm praying that you'll help us to learn to practice when we're just privately in our prayer closets, worshiping and praising and adoring you. So we love you and uh, we're grateful for this book. And we're grateful, Lord, that it was written to bring encouragement and comfort and consolation to uh, followers of your son Jesus who are suffering, who are getting squeezed and, and many even martyred because they're faithfully following your son. So, Lord, I, I pray for them even right now. I, I pray, Lord, for the millions and millions uh, who, because they're shining bright and testifying about your son, uh, are getting squeezed. Lord, help them to continue to persevere. I, I pray that they would courageously and fearlessly tell others about your son Jesus and the cross. And uh, I pray that even today, as some of them are going to suffer because they dare gather in your name, I, I pray, Lord, that they might realize how much you love them. And no matter what happens, you're going to see them through. Lord, I also want to just pause now and pray for uh, uh, Ted and little Teddy and Arabella. I want to pray for Shirley. Lord, I, I pray for uh, grace and mercy and comfort in their time of need. Um, Lord, help us as your church family to rally around them and love and support them. Thank you for your church. Thank you that we get to worship you in song and praise. And thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to worship you as we study your book together. And all the church gathered at Walloon said with one voice, you may be seated. Verse 1, the judgment winds uh, have been blowing and now there's a lull in the storm. 
the uh, eye of the hurricane is going over. Uh, so there's calm uh, here in chapter 7. Um, let's just go back. I want you to see what we looked at last week a little bit in review, and then we'll move into chapter 7. Uh, in chapter 6, uh, Jesus Christ steps up, opens the title deed to planet Earth. In chapter 5, only he is worthy to hold and to open the title deed of planet Earth, and now uh, he's going to reclaim his possession. He starts that process in Revelation chapter 6. So let's just look and see what we uh, saw last week. The first seal, verse 2, uh, you got the white horse. Um, I think that's the Antichrist pretending to be Jesus, the fake wannabe one masquerading as the real thing. Second seal, red horse. Uh, again, usually that stands for lots of blood. Uh, verses 3 and 4, worldwide war breaks out as peace vanishes from earth. Uh, third seal, black horse, verses 5 and 6. Worldwide famine follows the war, and food is scarce, and people are dying because they don't have enough to eat and drink. Fourth seal, uh, verses 7 and 8, that's the pale green horse. War, then famine, and what follows are disease and plagues, and it seems like the wild animals uh, are being fed well with sick human beings um, or dead human beings. Uh, again, kind of grisly scene. Um, fifth seal, verses 9 through 11, the scene switches to heaven. And in verses 9 through 11, you have the martyrs. These are people who had died from all of this war and famine and plagues. They had suffered because they were living for Jesus, speaking up for Jesus, and now they're dead, and now they're begging and praying and pleading, Jesus, when are you going to show your wrath? When are you going to avenge our slaughter? Um, when are you going to uh, go and release your wrath here on planet Earth is the question. And verses 12 to 17, we saw last week, that's the sixth seal. And the sixth seal um, is God's wrath being poured out on planet Earth. God's vengeance. And some of it is earthquake-related. Seems like it could be meteor showers, uh, smacking the earth uh, it's uh, tidal waves being unleashed and tsunamis uh, it's bad but now God is joining in and he's pouring out his wrath we said last week there are two major views on the rapture give me your eyes maybe that's a new word to you uh, if it is 1 Thessalonians 4 16 to 18 is what we're talking about um, two major views on the church's perspective regarding when does the Lord come and rescue his church. Uh, the pre-tribulational view says Jesus rescues his church, give me your eyes, before Revelation 6.1. Before the seal, the very first seal gets poured out, pre-tribulational view says um, they're going to get rescued by the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, um, before any of the seals are opened. Uh, this is the view that I've been schooled in. I suspect most of you have been schooled. It's the major, it's uh, the left behind view. 
Dr. Jeremiah view. Uh, again, it's the one that I hope is correct. And I think we voted last week and we decided by majority vote that this is what we want it to be. Um, the second view, which is honestly growing in evangelical circles, as people realize, well, we may not have any suffering or persecution, but track with me, but 70% of the church today is getting squeezed and persecuted and dying because of their faith. So they're already suffering from other men and from evil and from war and uh, from folks who, who hate Jesus. This second view is called the pre-wrath rapture view, okay? Pre-wrath. In other words, uh, Jesus is going to return and rescue his people before the sixth seal. That would be verse 12. So uh, that, uh, again, is a growing view. Um, again, uh, I hope it's the first. Uh, I, I'm, I'm fearful that I think it might be the second. Okay? So before the seventh seal is opened, uh, and we'll see the se seventh seal open next week, Revelation chapter 8, uh, the angels hold back the winds of wrath. Uh, it seems like each of these strong, powerful angels have been assigned by God. Okay, this is my timing now, and we've got this pause, so go and hold back my wrath, because uh, otherwise it's just going to keep on going. It's going to flood. We'll see that uh, return next week. Um, verses 2 and 3. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land. Don't harm the land. Don't harm the sea, the trees. We need to put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. We're going to see in a little bit uh, that Satan has a counterfeit to the seal of God. And uh, that seal has three numbers. Anybody remember what are those numbers that uh, the Antichrist and the beast and Satan are going to carve on people? Uh, anybody? 666. Be a bad phone number, don't you think, Roger? Uh, but anyway, uh, that's going to be coming. Um, Jesus temporarily suspends the seventh seal. A seal at this time was something a king would do on official documents, on official property that belonged to the king. Uh, what the king would have would be a special ring, and it would have intricate carvings. It was usually raised, and it had all sorts of different um, insignias, and, and you could tell this ring belongs to that king. You tracking with me? And what they would do is they would take wax and pour it on a document, and then the king would push his ring into that wax and pull it out, and now you've got this special insignia, and everybody would know that king is the owner of that document. That king is the one who will protect the carriers of that document. And this document and that insignia has special privileges. So if you mess with the person who's carrying that document with the seal of the king, you're messing with the king. You tracking? So mess, mess with his, 
his insignia, his seal, you're messing with him. So anyone who saw the king's insignia, they'd have to step back for a minute and say, you know what, this is royal property, and if I'm going to mess with this, this seal, then the king will be messing with me because he's the owner, and he provides protection, and there's a whole lot of privileges that go with anybody that has the king's seal. Now look at verse 4. 144,000 people from 12 tribes of Israel are sealed with the insignia of King Jesus. And where was this seal placed? Where does it say? Verse 4. On their what? Foreheads. Interesting, it was common for the owners of slaves at this time to put a special mark, oftentimes a tattoo or a carving that would signify that you as a slave belong to this owner. Okay, so that was common, and they would get that. Well, well now, these 144,000, they are slaves of Jesus, and now they're saying, I belong to Jesus Christ. This seal, uh, this insignia told everybody, I- I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. No turning back. I'm going to live for him. And uh, again, you mess with them, and you're messing with the king. And he provides protection and ownership and privilege for those with the seal on their forehead. Want to go on a quick bunny trail? Turn with me to Ephesians 1 real fast, okay? Ephesians 1. Charge. Haven't said that in a while. Verse 13. And you, it's talking to the church at Ephesus here, talking to the church at Walloon, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth. You heard the gospel of your salvation. You heard the fact that Jesus was the sinless lamb. And he took your place on the cross and he shed his blood. And he took your place in the tomb. And early Sunday morning, he arose from the dead for you. When you believed those facts by faith, look what it says. You were marked in him. Who's the him? Jesus Christ. You were marked in Jesus with a what? Oh, the promised Holy Spirit. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have said yes to the gospel facts and you believe by faith and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, look at it. You have been marked in Jesus Christ with a seal. The Lord took his signet ring on you and he literally pressed it into your life and now that seal in our lives today is the presence of the third person of the Trinity, Jesus in spirit form living right here. So if the Holy Spirit is living in you, if you have been sealed, that means he's going to provide ownership on you. He owns you. You belong to him. He belongs to you. He's going to provide protection. And there's a whole lot of privileges, Janie, isn't there, that go along with being sealed by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, and one more thing. Give me your eyes. Did you know that once the king seals, 
you can't unseal that document. Once you belong and the Holy Spirit takes up, there's no unsealing what the king has done because that's the king's business. And you belong to the king. And you are protected by the king. And you have privileges. And once you're sealed, you belong, and there's no unsealing what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in your life. So the question is, have you been sealed? Have you had the Holy Spirit come and enter your... Have you seen the fruit? And if you haven't seen the fruit, then maybe you should be asking the hard question, have I ever been sealed with the Holy Spirit? Back to verse 5. Revelation chapter 7. Tribe of Judah, tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad, tribe of Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. Are there any tribes missing, anybody? What happened to Dan? Uh, um, if you go back, tribe of Dan got involved in idolatry. They seem to have been cut off. That seems to be confer, confirmed here. Um, we don't know for sure, but that's probably what happened to Dan. So you got 12,000 from each tribe sealed by King Jesus. Um, and I just want you to know those 144,000 from the 12 tribes, I can't tell you how many different groups have said, we're the 144,000. It's amazing. Jehovah Witnesses jumped on this. Seventh-day Adventists have jumped Mormons say, no, 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 that's us. David Koresh and the Branch Davidians, no, that's us. Uh, Jim Jones, remember the purple Kool-Aid? They said that was them. Uh, Reconstruction theology people who say America is the lost tribes of Israel, they say, no, no, that's us. Okay, I, I, I realize not everybody agrees here, but I'm just going to tell you. I believe the 144,000 listed here are just who it says they are. They're Jews. They're God's chosen people. And they are God's chosen people who after all of these seals have been, give me your eyes, suddenly say, you know what? I, I think this Jesus might really be our Messiah. He might really be the one, the Old Testament. And, and I think God's, God's chosen people, the Jews, eyes are opened. And now many of them come to faith in Jesus Christ, much like the Apostle Paul did in the book of Acts. Um, you see a parenthesis in the book of Romans, and, and you can do a little homework this next week, and the parentheses in the book of Romans, probably the hardest sections, Romans 9, 10, 11, guess who that's aimed at? It's talking about the Jews and how, and how God still has a, an eye and a heart and a love for his people and how they're going to follow him. So I think that it's that Romans 9 through 11 passage, now it's coming back into the picture. And, and by the way, if anybody says to you, I think I'm one of these 144,000, uh, here's what Warren Wearsby says. Ask them two questions, okay? Ask them, number one, um, which tribe are you from? And then, uh, okay, if they give you an answer, and I don't think they will, but if they do, okay, uh, prove it. Uh, g give me the documentation that you truly are from that tribe. And they tend to grow pretty quiet uh, quickly. Okay, um, just one more time. Uh, these 144,000 are sealed 
and they are divinely protected by Jesus. But don't get me wrong, they're protected from God's wrath. They're not protected from the ugliness, from the persecution of the folks who hate Jesus. Because many of them are going to get martyred. Okay? But kind of like, remember when Moses said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said, no. And the plagues came. Now remember, God divinely protected his chosen people from, from all the ugliness that the Egyptians found and uh, protected uh, that last plague, especially when um, the Passover lamb came and the oldest male died, and every, except for God's chosen people. That seems to be what's happening. God says, I'm going to protect you, and uh, I'm going to protect you from my wrath, and now you're going to be my missionaries. And now you're going to be on the mark. Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls uh, on the march throughout the world? Uh, Twelve uh, apostles turned the ancient world upside down. Now you've got 144,000 Apostle Pauls on the loose. just want to compare that. Today, right now, there's about 40,000 evangelical missionaries, Trish, including your sister and brother-in-law. About 40,000 missionaries. So about, you, you, it's nearly four times the number of current missionaries worldwide um, are going to be unleashed on planet Earth. And, and I think they're Jews who have their eyes wide open, and now they are zealous to tell people about Christ. And uh, many of them will pay a high price because I think now we're going to shift the scene to heaven and some of those 144,000 are going to pay the ultimate price as uh, their message is not well received. After this, verse 9, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that nobody could count. And I like this, from every nation, from every tribe, from every people, from every language, standing before the throne, standing before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fall down on their faces before the throne. And they worship God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. Susan, there's lots of good songs that I know that come straight from these verses. Um, this crowd is so large, so massive. John can't count the crowd. Uh, so he, he says it just like he did in 511. Uh, I don't know but there's thousands upon thousands and there's 10,000 times 10,000. That's the ancient way of saying it's so big I can't, it's, it's, it's beyond counting. And this worldwide crowd, verse 10, from every corner of the earth, every nation, tribe, people, language has representatives there. And together, they're worshiping the Lamb, Jesus, together. So, if there is a um, group of people that you don't 
enjoy, if there, if there is a color of people or a language that makes you crazy, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus doesn't set one on each side of you here and say, okay, we're going to get this worked out, and you're going to learn to worship and love uh, people from every tribe and every language and every color, and whatever prejudices we have, they're going to get worked out on both sides because we've got all eternity to do that. Got it? We're going to be there, and we're going to have brothers and sisters in Christ, every tribe, every nation, every language, every color of people that you can imagine. Okay. Uh, verses 11 and 12. The angels and the elders and the seraphs are on their faces. They're in full and complete worship of Jesus. And then I like verse 13 because one of the elders asked John a question that he knew he didn't know the answer. You ever do that to people? I, I know you don't know the answer. Then one of the elders asked me, John says, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? Ever have somebody ask you a question and you know that they know that you don't know the answer? Here, here's a good thing to do. And, and here's John's answer. It said, I answered, sir, you know. So if you know and you know that I don't know, why are you asking me this question? And he said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Let that soak in. These are folks who just came out of that horrible mess that we just looked at, but they've been washed and they've been sealed and they've been protected because of the blood of the Lamb. Uncontrolled, uncountable multitude come out of the great tribulation. So, uh, e even though it's bad, it seems as though we're getting the picture. Lots of folks come to faith in Jesus Christ during this really bad period here on earth. And they've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Killed by wars and famines and disease, earthquakes, persecution. They're, they're killed by um, all sorts of ugliness man on man. But before they die, they realize they need the shed blood of Christ. They need the only answer to our sin problem. Verse 15. Therefore, they're before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not be down on them, nor any scorching heat. Verse 17, we find out, well, who's the one who's going to shelter them and protect them? For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. Jesus Christ, the lamb, is also the what? He's the shepherd. He's the lamb and the shepherd. He'll lead them to springs of living water. And I really like this last line. And God will wipe every what? From their eyes. I don't know about you. That picture is really encouraging full of joy, full of energy and life. Aren't you glad that Jesus is preparing a wonderful place for his kids? Aren't you glad? Think about it. He's preparing this amazing place for all of his children. Now, let's go back. Imagine how encouraging this picture would be to people who just buried loved ones because they were tortured and beheaded and imprisoned and starved because they faithfully followed Jesus. Do you understand? 
This picture is for them. This picture is for the 70% of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering throughout the world, and 100,000 of them will die this year. Conservative estimate. And now they look and they say, you know what? This is what we have to look forward to. Verse 17. The lamb who's our shepherd. And I really like this. Uh, Verse 16, and never again, once you're there in the presence of the shepherd, never again will a follower of Jesus go hungry. And when you're there, never will a follower of Jesus go thirsty. And never again will a follower of Jesus be scorched by fire or the sun. Because the shepherd's going to wipe away all of our tears. The end of pain, the end of suffering, the end of death, the end of evil. This looks really good, does it not? And for all eternity, we'll join the millions and millions of faithful followers of Jesus down through... Think about all the faithful followers of Jesus down through history, and there's millions upon millions upon millions of us, and now we get to enjoy this picture. Eternal bliss, eternal pleasure, eternal elation, eternal delight. Think of the most satisfying and enjoyable event you've ever experienced. So shut your eyes. I want you to think about it just for a moment. What's the most satisfying and enjoyable, and you can even use the word fun. That's allowed. Christians can have fun. What's the best moment you can remember? And now let that come to the forefront of your brain right now. Could be when somebody was walking down an aisle could have been in a birthing room somewhere when that son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter uh, could be a lot of things right now okay so the very best moment you've ever experienced on planet earth got one everybody got one it's that joy on earth times a thousand and it's never going to end that's that's what we have to come okay it's that that kind of wonderful satisfaction and delight and it's never going to end it's for all of eternity so I just need to point something out Christians today especially in our culture we sacrifice and save and struggle in our earthly jobs and we skimp and, and we watch over our pensions and our 401ks and our annuity, annuities and make sure our future financial rewards, we have them down just right. And strangely, give me your attention, a lot of us give very little or no attention to our eternal rewards that will last and endure for eternity. Just, just note We spend the vast majority of our resources on earthly blessings that are only going to last for a short time. And you just think about how much time and energy and investment for, oh, when I retire, i got to have this amount, and it has to be this way, and we get it all squared away for 10, 20, maybe 30 years of time. And we lay up very little treasure that will endure for eternity. So, 
I ask, how much of your time is devoted to college football or basketball or how much time do you spend on the book of faces um, or watching your favorite show or tweeting, texting, snap shooting people um, versus, you can tell I'm really up on it, can't you? Um, versus loving on your spouse and loving on your children and your grandchildren and reading God's word and showing the love of Jesus to people at work or your family or your neighborhood. You, you see, I, I just think you, you look at this chapter and you say, whoa, 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 I, I better get prepared for that day because this is coming and, and this is going to last. How much of your bank account is devoted to things that bring eternal reward. If you looked at your checkbook, how much of what you have coming in is going out for eternal things, given to advance the cause of Jesus and his kingdom and his church? And, and I just think Revelation 7 is a, is a strong reminder. I want, Jesus, I want to build my life and my family on the stuff that's going to endure and last forever. Because one day the houses and the cars and the boats and the clothes and the computers and even my golf clubs are all going to get burned up. And all this stuff, this world that we chase after and oh, I got to have this and I got to have that, it's all going to be gone. Give me your eyes. And we're going to stand just with nothing else before the Lamb on the throne. I'm just saying, when you look here, be prepared for that day. Lay up for yourself some treasure that's going to last. Build your life and your family on a foundation that will endure for all of eternity. And, and, and as you, you look at this, you say, well, well, that just makes sense. That's just logical in view of Revelation chapter 7. Bow your heads, shut your eyes. Would you just pause and invite the Lord to show you how you're doing when it comes to investing your resources for eternity? Would you be brave enough to say, Lord, show me, show me uh, how am I doing with my time and my talent and my treasure? My laying up adequate resources that will endure or is most of my time, talent, and treasure going towards earthly stuff that won't last? Show me. I'm listening. Lord's nudging you right now. If the Lord's uh, uh, making Himself clear, and you're ready to say, "Lord, uh, you've made it pretty clear. Far too much of my time, talent, treasure is being wasted on earthly rewards, which are going to be gone. Short term, not going to last. 
but I need to make some adjustments with your help. With, with your help and your wisdom, show me how I can begin investing the resources that you've given me. It's, it's, they're limited, but my time, my talent, my treasure, um, I'm ready and willing to make adjustments as necessary. You show me. You've made it clear some things need to change. Right now, just want you to know I've heard from you. If you lift up your hand and say, Lord, you've spoken and I've heard. Made it clear. Time, talent, treasure, adjustments need to be made. Would you just lift up your hand to the Lord? He's the one. And, and I'm, this is between you and him. I'm not going to call you out. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. Um, but, but if he's spoken, I think it's good physically to respond and let him know, <clears throat> I've heard. I've heard. Yeah. Lord, I pray for my friends here. Many of them need to make adjustments, and uh, I need to join them. There's adjustments that are needed and necessary with how we spend our time, with how we use our talents, with how um, we spend the resources, the money, the treasure that you've given us. Lord, help us to make even the hard choices, the hard adjustments. And Lord, if there's anybody here who's never been sealed with the Holy Spirit, if there's anybody here right now who, uh, if uh, their life ended this week, and you'd say, I never knew you. You never believed, you never received. My Holy Spirit never took up residence in you. Would you make it clear and obvious to them? Might, might they be able to do an honest evaluation today of their lives? And if it comes up short and there's little or no fruit, I pray that even today they'll ask the hard questions. We love you. We worship you. Thank you for the encouragement of Revelation chapter 7. And we pray again all of these things in Jesus' name. As we close, um, we've saved a few minutes to practice for uh, eternity. Because I think that's what this life is. It's practice getting ready for the real thing, which is life face-to-face -face with Jesus. So uh, let me encourage you. We're going to do a little practice now. So with passion and energy, and uh, as we practiced earlier, verse 10, uh, with loud voices can we stand and praise the lamb one last time who's on the throne even right now mm -hmm.